0: I'm going to go on Matthew 5. Jesus makes some comments about law. When you hear of rules or law or such, there's a couple different responses. If you're out of your home for the first time, it's kind of like, I can't wait to do some things on my own, you know, and to just get out and explore life and not have all this oppression. If you're a young parent, you're suddenly coming into this understanding of, when I put down laws and, and, and rules in a house, it's because I love this kid. It's not because I'm just trying to make their life miserable, even though they don't interpret it that way. And so you have this tension that says, I like my freedom, but at the same time, there's this awareness that the law laid down was really meant for my benefit. And that's kind of what we struggle with when we get into the Scripture, because when we think of God, if we think of Him as good and loving in every application, we have to say that His order and rule and law actually has great benefit. But if we're looking at him as being this, this ruler who decides capriciously, this is the way I want it, like it or lump it, this is the way it is, then it's a whole different perspective, right? When the psalmist is looking in Psalm 19, and he's thinking about creation because he's, he's talking, he gives an illustration of the sun, uh, you know, from sunrise to sunset, it just kind of goes same direction every day. It'd be more that way, right? <laughs> However that works, east to west, yeah. that way? Thank you. Needed some help there. Got lost for a moment. <laughs> it never gets messed up, right? It It, it always does the same, and... That kind of order and system is what our creation is bound in, but it, it really works. How many saw that, uh, that thing that's been posted recently of a uh, dopamine being moved in the brain? And it, it almost looks in chemical reaction like this little man carrying this huge ball of, of happiness <laughs> to where it needs to get to to be used, and you're kind of going, I know that's done on a micro level, but the intricacy of it is astounding. And you realize that kind of order that's connected to our lives and everything about us, and you start saying it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're going, what an incredible thing. If you and I come to terms and recognize that the order and system that God has put in place really does work, then there's this thirst that begins to develop in us and says, the more I can understand your system and patterns, the better off my life is. And that's kind of where the psalmist went in 19. He says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. He says, you understand the system of God. And he says, it's better than having gold in your account. He says, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So let's go into Matthew 5. Jesus is addressing different ones in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota or dot shall pass from the law until all is accomplished whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands teaches others to do the same will be called least. This is quite a warning that comes out. It says, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And suddenly we start to go, well, I thought the Old Testament law was different. I thought they're, and what's he saying about this fulfilling stuff? It's kind of where I want to go this morning. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is always kind of grabbed me and go, uh-oh, because this, those guys were very religious. And the system of what they did and how they practiced their religion was really more specific than what you and I tend to live in. And the order that they kept religiously was more than what we tend to practice. So you're going, well, how does that work? A couple passages stand out to my way of thinking. In uh, Matthew 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he says, what you're you're doing is this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from it. In other words, there's lip service going out. There's, yeah, 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 we'll do this. But the heart isn't into that kind of thing. You know, it's like when you when you talk to somebody and you want to do this together. Yeah, 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 sure, okay. And then the the day comes and it's like, ah, you know, I'm not feeling it today. Maybe later. And you go, what we planned on this. Well, if the heart wasn't in it, it, it just somehow comes out. The uh, there's another passage in Matthew 23. Jesus lists a number of woes to scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law, and there's seven of them in that particular chapter. And um, one of them comes out this way. He says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence.'" He says, clean the inside. So he's going, if if you want to to really pay attention to, to how you're washing the dishes, Make sure the inside gets dealt with. You know the outside, the the bottom of the plate doesn't really matter, does it? That's what I always thought, anyway. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding you. Uh, you're gonna be looking at my house next time, aren't you? <laughs> bottom clean. No. It, but you know what it is. Uh, you know what comes in contact with the food is more important. So, and, and he's but he's taking that illustration. He's saying. What's inside your heart, what's inside of you is really the the crucial part rather than just this specific law and order that shows on the outside. And the challenge then is, okay, is my heart toward God and me living it out, or is it I'm kind of doing my own thing, but I'm still keeping the religion side trying to protect both places? You know, that straddling of the fence. What Jesus does in in Matthew five, then after he makes these declarations that we had read, he gives a number of illustrations and say, and basically says, what you understand of the law is really like a minimum standard. It it, it isn't the fullness of what life in God is about. And he says, if you want to get specific, there's a lot more to it than what you would just say on these outward laws or these rules that were part of the Old Testament. He says, you know, you've been told, thou shalt not murder, you know, Ten Commandments. And he says, well, yeah, that's, that's true, but really, you start calling somebody a fool and insulting them, he says, you're committing murder, you're a form of it. And we, then we really start to say, whoa, you know, because I've done that. But he says, you want to know what real purity is? You don't live that mindset that's just caught up in, in insult, in stepping on others, or getting yours, or this anger response when they do something you don't like. Yeah, you didn't murder, but you... you used an expression of your anger that really was detrimental to the relationship, and it harmed that person. So he says, if you really want to know what the law of purity is in the Lord, he says, you're going to have to raise the bar. It's, it, don't content yourself that you haven't killed anyone lately. He goes on, and, and he takes that a little further, and then he He gets into uh, the thing of, of adultery, and he says, you know, you can pride yourself in not committing adultery, but he says, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So again, what's he doing? He's raising that bar up and saying, there's a much higher standard than just keeping out of the specific of adultery, Um. It was intriguing to me this week, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein thing, and then how many of our own group were saying, me too. You know, and, and if anything, that that speaks to the depravity of us as a people group, right? You know, and what's going on and what's gone on in, in our culture, and, and, you know, I'm... I, all week long, I was kind of wrestling with this because, you know, it's like you feel a sorrow for the wounded, but you also know in your heart that God doesn't want people to just continue. It's not enough to say, I have a wound, but there, there needs to be healing, right? And in the Lord, He can turn ashes into beauty. And so the question is, how do we as a group address that and bring as a group into health for violators and violated? You know, because, you know, if we're saying we have lived depraved and we have suffered the fruit of that depravity, how do we move into health? Or is it, God certainly doesn't want us just to stay in that realm, but He he truly wants to bring healing to our hearts and to to in a sense, remove the sting of such things. you don't You don't erase the memory, but can he move it into a into positive you know so that it it is used for the glory of God, and it also is one of those things that doesn't bring up shame or sorrow or, or you know those no longer are the defining memories of it, so to speak? How does he get us past that? And so that's, that's one of the things I've, I, I, all week long, it's just kind of been around my heart. I, how do we handle this in prayer together? How do we, maybe, maybe we take those who say, I've walked through this, I feel like God has brought me into health, I want to pray for those who don't feel like they're there yet. And for the violators to be able to say, I've been wicked. I need the forgiveness of God and community. Um, we're going to have to address this some at the end. But I, I, I was reminded of the, the story of, of Joseph. Who, he has a dream from God. And whether he was bragging about the dream or not, we're not sure. He did tell his family, and they reacted. They got angry, mad at him, right? Enough so that they didn't like him at all. But then the brothers, you know, they take it further. They want to kill him. That's their plan. And then they figure, oh, we'd be better off just to sell him. So they sold him into slavery. And then he gets lied about by someone else, then he gets cheated by some others that he helps out. But eventually God brings him to place and then his brothers have to stand before him and answer to him because the role's been reversed. And he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. The saving of many lives. And he releases them. You know, and that's that's the the incredible... in a sense you know the fullness of healing when release is available right you say i i don't don't care to see you harmed so that you know those are challenging things and jesus you know in addressing this thing with even lust you know he he takes it a step further and he goes if you right i have caused you to sin tear it out and throw it away you know, now I'm thinking back to those who say, "Well, it's dismissing this," and it, you know, and I wrestle, well, "What do I do with this?" And your right hand causes you to sin; cut it off. But I, you know, in looking that, I'm looking. If you can't see somebody with God's eyes, it's better not to look at them. Right? I mean, if if all you're doing is looking at the outward package, guys and gals you would be better off not looking. Because what we have to pray for and ask God is, to, how do you see this person? And then help me to see them in the same way. In the same way, if your touch isn't pure and it isn't filled with compassion, if it's more for your own gain or, or, or glory, so to speak, or whatever, then you're better off not touching. But it's, you know, he's, he's bringing us into this reality that says there is a higher standard. It doesn't matter what society is allowing us to get away with. I was telling somebody, the, <laughs> the culture I grew up in, In high school, it was regular practice to get a gal drunk so a guy could sleep with her. That was accepted across the board. Very little said against it. And yet you realize it brought a lot of grief. It wasn't a healthy thing by any stretch. But it's like, how do we step out of that as a people? Well, we've got to understand what God's what purity is and how he really sees things and how he sees others. And then allow him to develop that same heart within us that's willing to see others with love and compassion and not just what we can get and take and grab and seize. Well, he goes on through this chapter and he takes on things like vows and there's some old testament rules and he says you know just say yes or no don't go too far beyond that because you're just going to be stepping into sin uh he says you know in the old testament there was an eye for an eye rule and the idea was you don't get to kill someone just because they wound you a bit He says, eye for eye, don't don't take it too far. And and Jesus takes it further and he says, turn the other cheek. Learn to function in love. Learn to function in compassion. It's not just about justice. But he says, combine those and and learn how to to give. And he, he, he says, learn to love your enemy. God loves enemies. He says he loves, He's caused us the sun to r- and rain to shine and to pour upon both the just and the unjust. So He says, "Your heavenly Father is perfect. That's, that's your target as well. Let's read the The New Testament writers wrestled with some of these things as well, and so I'd like to pull a few other verses. In Romans chapter 8 in particular, Paul's walked through a number of things. You remember, he's talked about all of us being guilty and the wages of sin being death. And he's, he's then developed how Christ is the answer. And he says, uh, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What Christ does in you is a transformation that sets you free from the habitual law of, of sin and death that you were a part of. He says he, he works at transforming in your heart. In the 8th chapter, he says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He says a little later, the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. He says this, if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, so when Jesus was talking about sending the spirit of truth and sending a counselor and comforter, it's very essential that we catch this that his death and resurrection opens a door for the Spirit of God to live within us. The cleansing that comes in our lives is a result of having our sin washed away allows God to dwell in our hearts and so then we can begin to walk by the Spirit of God. We can sense His voice in our hearts dictating what needs to be done. And it moves us to a higher standard in a sense where the, the, the shall not murder is not, not the issue anymore. It's wrestling with things like, I really desire to call this person a fool for the stupid thing they've said right now, but I need to know what God wants said. I need to know what's a, what needs to be declared in a positive light. You know, if you have a gift in sarcasm and wit that's able to skewer others, if you have that verbal ability, how much better is it when God takes that and conforms it to his image so that it becomes an encouraging gift? and brings words of comfort and hope. You know, you, you obviously have a verbal skill and you have a mental ability to declare things. So why not allow him to transform that thing into something that really brings well-being to others? In Galatians, Paul again is, is walking through some of these things. He says, Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not to gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. So he says, essentially, you're living a standard that goes way above the law. You're not going to have to worry about the, the top ten, so to speak. You're going to be practicing at a level that goes beyond that. Over in Colossians, again, he does he, he's, he's on to this thing, and he says, As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, human tradition, and elemental things of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the Whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He says those outward rules and ideas, they've got a a form of stuff, but they don't really get it done. Here's an incredible thing. A little bit later in this same chapter, he says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is, a couple weeks ago, somebody had used this in a a service that I was sitting in, and and it just grabbed me. And I was thinking, you know, the the whole thing of Sabbath, I guess there's a tension in me because we're Sunday worshipers, right? And I want to know that that I'm not violating the things of God by that. And, and I, I feel like I have a strong biblical case for what we're doing in practice, but you know it's still something you have to wrestle with. But one of the verses that really is anchored to this is that if you want to discover true rest it's going to be found in Christ. It isn't going to be found in your daily ritual. It's not going to be found in Sunday. It's not going to be found in Saturday. True rest in the Lord is going to be found in Him, in the peace that He brings into your life. Now, there's, there's benefit to system together and meeting. You know, if If you try to just wander off and do Christianity on your own, you're you're violating what God has called you to in community. And you need to know that. That there are are aspects of your growth and health in the Lord that will not take place if you're just trying to do it on your own. You're not going to get that on Mount Marquette. You're not going to get it on Hogsback. You're not going to get it on Sugarloaf or wherever you wander off. There are benefits to all those places, But there's an aspect of community life that God calls us to, and you will not escape the health that's meant for you apart from community. That said, we get really tied into our rules and our systems and our days, so to speak. Yet Paul's making a declaration in this moment, and he's saying, you want to understand real Sabbath, real rest? It's in Christ. <laughs> I don't know if it gets you like it does to me, but it's, it's one of those things I'm going, I'm going to have to chew on this for a while. I understand in my mind that anything temporal does not have the power of the eternal. So our day system and all of that it is not going to have the significance of what's eternal. It just doesn't. So, when I look at what is real rest in the Lord, it's got to have an eternal dynamic. And he says, When you come to Christ, there is a peace. Remember Christ saying, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'll give rest to your souls. It says you embrace what Christ has for you, and there is a measure of rest and peace that far exceeds anything you'll discover on a day off. A couple last verses. Following in that Colossians passage, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden in Christ. And in Colossians 3, 5, and 6, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It so says, you once walked in these things in the 7th verse, but in the 9 and 10 it says, you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's what we've stepped into. That's what we're wanting to walk in. And so even though we acknowledge, yeah, there's some rules out there and, and they were valuable getting us started, but there you know, to really embrace what a walk of the Spirit is about is going to be listening to the voice of the Lord on a daily basis and it is going to lead us into behavior that far exceeds just that minimum standard. Praise to the Lord. I'm going to pray for a blessing upon you. We're going to continue with worship and I'm just going to encourage you to participate in prayer together blessing rests on these, your people. May they know the fullness of life that you've called them to. May they discover with joy what your rule and order truly is about, your system, your law. Pray too that as they go into the community, that you give them words of life to speak over others. They will bring healing where they go. Enable them to carry out the supernatural. Gift them the workings of your kingdom you lifted up and exalted our lord we pray we love you this day